I invite you to open with me this morning to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And I'm going to read in just a moment from verses 9 through 11. But we're going to study the first 22 verses of Acts chapter 18 this morning. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you about a photo that I saw recently. Um, It was a photo of a gentleman who was obviously in his mid to late 80s. And the caption underneath it said, Who says watching Alabama football is hard? I'm only 35. That obviously, I thought it was funnier than that, Phil. I had to say something. I, I waited until the right time. So, but no, here, here's what the photo actually said. Here's what it said. It, it, was, it was a photo just like that. A, a gentleman in his mid to late 80s. And the caption actually said this. Who says ministry is hard? Who says ministry is hard? I'm only 35. That's what it really said. And, and, the, and the point there is, ministry is uniquely difficult. Now, I want to be careful in how I share this with you. This isn't just pastoring. This is ministry. And what happens is, we as the family of God, we covenant together to partner in ministry, and it can be uniquely difficult. There are challenges and obstacles all around us. The enemy attacks us from without and from within. And it is difficult. It is challenging. Or at least it should be. I say it that way for this reason. If, if it's not difficult, you need to ask yourself this question. If it's not difficult for you, why? Why is it not difficult? And the answer to that could be troubling. It could be very convicting, in fact, that maybe uh, you're, you're not planted firmly in the ministry and you're not bought in with what God's doing and the difficult work that he has tasked us with to take the gospel to the nations. It is difficult in a very unique way. This morning, we're going to complete the second missionary journey with Paul. And he has a difficult time in the passage we're going to look at. As we do so, we're going to see the apostle and the missionary frustrated by his circumstances. He's tired. He's tired physically. He's tired emotionally and mentally. And I would say spiritually. And in Acts 18, we're going to see the Lord show up in a dramatic way in Paul's life and in the ministry there. The Lord's going to give him strength at just the right time. And it should be encouraging to all of us as well. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. God gives his servants strength as they labor in adversity. God gives his servants strength as they labor in adversity. You see, we have a tendency of trying to be tough in times of adversity. We're taught to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, so to speak, and to get our act together and to be tough and have some grit And that's part of the story. I do think it requires a certain amount of toughness to to minister uh, in this world we live in. But that's not all of the story. And as we read in Acts chapter 18 in these first 22 verses, we're going to see that Paul was tough emotionally. He had some grit. But at the same time, God was doing the greater work as he grew tired, as he grew, I would say, even depressed Let's look together at the way that God gave this servant 
strength in a very specific way. Acts chapter 18, if you'll stand and honor the reading of God's word, I'm only going to read these three verses to us, verses 9 through 11. It's kind of right in the middle of this passage, and I want you to see how the Lord shows up in the most dramatic way. The scriptures say, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. He stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for how it's encouraged my heart. And I pray that it will encourage the hearts of your people here, the gathered saints at First Baptist Church of Cave Spring. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you'll bless the reading and the proclamation of your word. Let it be for your glory and your glory alone. Let it shape us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. These first eight verses, we're going to see the toughness that is required to do ministry well when you are endeavoring to uh, be a part of the mission of God, of taking the gospel to your community and the nations. And then the second two points are going to point to God's activity specifically. And so uh, we're going to work through these first eight verses carefully, though. Here's what we're going to see. The mission advanced because God's servant was persistent. The mission advanced because God's servant was persistent. Look again at, look here at verse one. I didn't read it a moment ago, but I want you to see what happens here. It says, after this, he, being Paul, left Athens and he went to Corinth. So this transition right here in verse one sets the stage for what we're looking at in these 22 verses. Paul has journeyed once again, this time leaving Athens, which we were there last week with him, and now he's in Corinth. Notice this, his servants press on despite their past difficulties. Remember, back in Athens, uh, Paul had encountered great difficulty. He had encountered a stubborn group of people, remember, and, and those people didn't want to listen to the message of the gospel. And this transition statement informs us that he continued to be faithful. He continued to journey forward. Now, I read this uh, in a commentary this week. I want to paint a picture for you of what exactly Paul had endured physically. I read this. Between the years of, his, uh, of 49 and 52, in other words, those ages, 49 to 52 in his life, Paul traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot and about 1,000 miles by boat. That's like walking from Raleigh, North Carolina to Denver, Colorado as a 50-year-old man. He had had a difficult life. Ben Jackson might swim laps around his lake out there, but I can guarantee he's not going to walk 2,000 miles, right? Paul was an extraordinary individual with some supernatural, it would seem, strength. He had not only done that, but he had been beaten, he had been imprisoned, and he had been mocked along the way. No one was cheering Paul on as he endeavored to be faithful. But listen, Paul did not let his past adversity determine his present obedience, and neither can we. When things become difficult, we can't go immediately to, well, it's difficult because, look, we're in this mess again, right? We're being faithful, and look what's happening once again, right? And Paul could have easily said that. He could have seen what happened in Athens and the difficulty he encountered and said, all right, I'm going to Corinth now, but I'm going to do things a little bit different this time around. 
No, we see in this passage we're looking at, Paul was faithful. He didn't let that adversity give shape to what was going to happen ahead. But before we move on to verse 2, I want you to notice this also. His servants also keep their focus in a perverse culture. Understand the setting, if you will, for Corinth. Paul's new place of ministry was a carnal place. That's what the word Corinth actually means. It means carnal. And and Paul writes two letters at least to the church at Corinth. We, We have the two recorded in Scripture. He perhaps wrote more than that. But in 1 and 2 Corinthians, those letters paint a picture of the fractured morality of this city. You see, there's a reason why Paul's strongest rebukes against sexual immorality in particular are found in 1 and 2 Corinthians. That wasn't an accident. The church was entrenched in this immoral culture. Listen, Corinth was a port city. It was strategically located where the sea routes in the Roman world intersected with the the roads on land. And because of that, they were kind of a cultural and religious melting pot. And so as they encountered this immorality around them, certainly immorality was pervasive. And so Paul was in this very difficult circumstance once again, not unlike Athens from last week. Remember that? Athens also was an incredibly immoral and depraved place. And here he was again having to be faithful in this very perverse culture. They would even say in that time period, if you look at places outside of Scripture, they would say, live like a Corinthian. And the reason they would say that is that's saying, hey, live like this is your only and best life and there are no consequences. So that was the mentality of the Corinthians. I like to think of it this way. When I drive past a church that is named Corinth Baptist Church, and they are out there. You might have relatives that attend one, and you have some material to give them now. That's not a good idea to name a church Carnal Baptist Church, but you see them. It's out there. There's no doubt we live in a fractured moral society as well, but that is not an excuse for abandoning the mission that God has given to us. Getting frustrated by our culture does not somehow excuse us from the mission of God. Instead, it should further the mission of God, and that's what happened with Paul. Now notice this in verses 2 through 3. Look at that with me. It says he, he went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them. And since they were of the same occupation, they were tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and he worked. Listen carefully. His servants believe in the necessity of partnership. Paul understood in this difficult place he was serving in, he needed companions to serve with him. Now, this is the first time we encounter these people with really fantastic names, Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, it's very unique in the biblical text that when you see them mentioned, the lady's name is mentioned first. Right, Most of the time in that culture, it would have certainly been the man's name mentioned first. What this meant was Priscilla, no doubt, was a prominent lady. And she was taking the lead many times in this family of serving the Lord with faithfulness. So be encouraged, ladies. There were women in Scripture serving the Lord in the very same way. You stick with it. So Priscilla and Aquila, they show up for the first time here in Acts chapter 18. But this is not the only or the last time we see them. 
If we read in verses 18 and 19, which we're going to be there in just a minute, we see that in Ephesus, uh, the church met in their home. And so they were not just faithful, they were hospitable people, and they offered to the Lord what they had. I love Romans chapter 16 and verses 3 and 4, though. Priscilla and Aquila are described there as people who risked their necks for Paul. We don't know what that means. We don't know exactly how they risked their necks for Paul. But what it means is this. They had become partners with him in ministry. They were in this together, so to speak. You see, Paul knew that ministry was not a solo endeavor. He knew that he needed the church and he needed some good friends to continue in ministry. We don't do this alone, friends. I don't do this alone. Not a single person in this church can do this alone. We are in this mission together, and that's what Paul understood, and we got to understand that as well. As I shared with you during our giving time about this mission trip to Nepal, some of you were sitting there and thinking, man, this is kind of goofy. I mean, uh, we got needs right here around us. And yeah, we do. That's absolutely true. But at the same time, the reason we're doing this is because we are linking arms with a very difficult work in this faraway place. It means something to link arms with people in a ministry endeavor. Those of you who serve with us on Sunday nights, you see this happen, right? Kids are running around screaming, right? It's, it's, a, it's a challenging circumstance. Some of y'all are nodding your head. Look at Miss Sheila. She's right here. She's nodding her head because my little kids are with her in the nursery, and she, she gets it. So, but listen, it's a crazy atmosphere. What happens is as we serve together, we get closer together, right? As we, again, partner in ministry, that's what we see happening with Paul and with Priscilla and Aquila. We saw this happen before with Paul and Silas and Timothy, Paul knew as fantastic as he was, he couldn't do this alone. But let's look closer at these verses that I just read to you. I want you to see this as well. His servants know their identity is not in their vocation. It's not their vocation that matters. It's their identity in Christ that matters. Paul knew this. Now, we read there in verses 3 and 4 about Paul's trade. It says he was a tent maker. This is the first time we see this truth in Scripture. What this meant was, this is kind of what Paul had as a day job. This is what he understood to be a skill that he had, kind of like somebody would be a brick mason or a fisherman. Paul was a tent maker. But listen, Paul did not let his change in vocation derail the ministry. What do I mean by that? It means up until this point, Paul was a full-time missionary. He was supported by the church. The church was taking care of him, and he writes in other places why that's important, that the people who are serving the Lord should receive a share so they can devote themselves to the ministry. And we're going to see what that looks like in a moment. But just because his circumstance in life changed, he did not let that derail the mission and ministry God had given him in that place. How do we know that's true? Well, if you look a little bit closer here, it says in verse 4, Again, while he is staying with Priscilla and Aquila, while he's a tent maker, notice this, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So here Paul was, a tent maker by day, supporting himself with that trade that he knew. And guess what? On the weekends, he was giving himself to the work of the gospel in the synagogue. Nothing changed about his faithfulness. Here's what this means. There's no doubt that across this room, there are many different vocations and trades represented. Some of you, your day job is in a factory. Others of you work in an office. 
Others of you are a stay-at-home mom and you are taking care of kids. Some of you work in schools and other businesses. Some of you travel a lot for your trade and you feel the isolation of being on the road. But here's what this means. No matter what station of life you're in, be faithful in the ministry God has given you to do. Paul was. He didn't let this change in his station in life change him. Your vocation or trade does not make you insignificant in the mission of God. I would say, in fact, it makes you more significant. There are people you will interact with in your day-to-day life that I will never cross paths with. There are people you will interact with that even the most famous evangelist that lives today would never interact with. Share the gospel in your day-to-day life. Now, let's wrap up this first point by looking at verses five through eight. I'm just gonna... Uh, I'll I'll read this to you and walk through it carefully in a moment, but notice this as we head into it. His servants remain faithful even in frustration. Even when things are difficult, they remain faithful. Look first at verse five. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that's kind of an understatement there in verse five. When Paul and Silas showed up, Paul was, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, when Silas and Timothy showed up to meet with Paul, Paul was ecstatic. I mean, his friends that he had served with before, they were finally with him. And guess what that meant? He could now devote himself to the ministry. That word devote, what it means is, if you look in other translations of Scripture, particularly the New Living Translation, I think, they say Paul spent all his time preaching. He was preaching all the time. That's what he loved to do. It's what his gift was to do. That's what he was passionate about. And so he began to give all of his time to the proclamation of the gospel. The game had changed to what Paul was more familiar with all along the way. But I want you to notice the results as we look at verse 6. You would think more devotion would mean better results. But notice this. When they resisted and blasphemed. How about that? No surprise there. We've seen this happen to Paul along the way, right? He's preaching his heart out and they are blaspheming, resisting, beating him with sticks. They are uh, speaking against the gospel and against him and driving him out of town. So we're not surprised. Notice what he did. He shook out his clothes and he told them, your blood is on your own heads. (laughs) He was frustrated. He said, I am innocent. From now on, I'm gonna go to the Gentiles. So he left there. Now, this seems like a really strange activity. He's shaking his clothes off at him. But listen, we saw him do this back in chapter 13 and verse 51. It says there that he shook the dust off his feet. This was a symbolic activity of him saying, I am finished. I am washing my hands of any obligation I have to minister here among this place and among this people. But here's what I really want you to understand. Paul's frustrations had bubbled over into a visceral reaction. When we read scripture, oftentimes we will look at the people of scripture, particularly these prominent characters like Paul, and we'll say, we need to live like that. Well, we need to do ministry like that. Understand, these are very broken and flawed people just like us. And we don't always need to live by their example. When Paul did this, I'm not saying that's a good idea to do. When you get frustrated, you probably shouldn't kick the dust off your shoes at people and do this. I'm done. That's what he did. And that's not advisable. But here's what happens. I want you to see as he continues on how he is faithful. Notice verses 7 and eight. What was Paul going to do? It says, so he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, 
a worshiper of God, check this out, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So what did Paul do? He got frustrated, he told them off, and he went next door. He didn't go to the next town, he didn't get on a boat and sail away. No, he said, you know what, I'm going to show them. Listen, this is not, and I've, I've seen a guy do this, unfortunately. Uh, he took this verse to mean a blessing that you could somehow leave a church in one city and go right next door and be the pastor of the one down the road. That's not a good idea. It's never advisable. But Paul did it here. He went next door, quite literally, and he said, I'm going to be faithful in ministering to these people with the truth of the gospel. Notice what, he, what happened there because of his faithfulness. It says in verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. The leader of the synagogue next door trusted the Lord. How about that? Paul was faithful, and then these people that you would never think would be changed were changed by the gospel. And then it says further, along with his whole household. How about that? Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed, and they were baptized. God had blessed he had done a good work up to this point. Paul had nerve and he was faithful despite his frustrations. You see, the first eight verses, they paint a picture of Paul's missionary grit. We've talked about that. This was him being tough in ministry, realizing he has to press forward and it's gonna be burdensome and it's gonna be difficult, but he's gonna be faithful. But when we get to verses nine through 22, we're gonna see things shift. Because it's not just Paul being faithful. The more significant person at play here, the more significant person at work is God. Here's what we're going to see in verses 9 and 11 in particular. The mission advanced because God was present. God was with him. So it wasn't just his perseverance that caused the mission to go forward. No, God, we see, was present with him. I read verses 9 and 10 to you a moment ago, but I want to go back through it again now that you got the setting, and let me read it to you. It says, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you. How sweet that is. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people, he says, in this city I want you to notice that this promise given to Paul there was the promise primarily of God's presence with him. Everything we see, everything that unfolds from this point forward is wrapped up in verse 10 where he says, I am with you. Two things happen as a result of his presence. Notice this, God calms his servants with his presence. He calms them. He hushes their spirit. He assuages their fear. Now, pay attention to this. This is the first time the Lord spoke directly to Paul in this way since the Damascus Road experience. What happened on the Damascus Road? Paul was converted, right? Paul encountered the Lord Jesus Christ there, and I believe this was a very similar type of encounter. The Lord kind of jerking him up by the nap of the neck and saying, listen, don't be afraid. Remain faithful. Don't be silent and keep on speaking. He assuaged his fears. The Lord knew Paul's heart, and the Lord spoke to the need of his heart. Here's how we know that. Maybe jot in the margin of your Bible there next to verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians 
chapter two and verse three. Remember I told you, Paul wrote a couple of letters to the church at Corinth. This is one of those letters. And Paul reveals a little bit about the condition of his heart in chapter two and verse three. Here's what he said. I came to you, meaning I came to you, Corinthians, in weakness, with great fear, and trembling. Paul was transparent. He said, listen, I was afraid to be here. Things were not going well. I, I, was, I was trembling in fear, he says. He was nervous. And I think you can read a little further into that. He was depressed. He was taxed emotionally and physically. He was broken. God's servant was broken. And yet God had calmed him with his presence. But notice this also. God commissions his servants with his presence. We see there that he says, I am with you in verse 10. But in verse 9, he says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and don't be silent. You see, God didn't calm Paul's nerves just for the sake of getting him to chill out. He calmed his nerves to then commission him. I remember as a little boy, I was terribly afraid of the dark. I'm still terribly afraid of the dark, uh, especially here in the old quiet church. Listen, you come in here by yourself, there's nothing creepier than a church perfectly still and dark on a Saturday night at about 11 o'clock, and I've been in here to see that happen. The, and unfortunately, the light switch is in the back. I don't know if y'all noticed this. The light switch is back there, and I typically exit the building over here. And so I've got to walk all the way from the back, all the way up here to get out. And sometimes what I do is I sneak out the front and walk outside. But sometimes it's raining, so i got to walk. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. I'm afraid of the dark even now. That's the point. Listen, as a kid, I was afraid of the dark, and, and I wouldn't go to sleep. I refused. I was, sometimes I would be so afraid of being in a dark room by myself. And my mom and dad, here's what they would do. As annoying as this was, they would say, listen, come in the bedroom. Pull your mattress in here. You can lay at the foot of the bed, and you can get comfortable there, and you can go to sleep. So I do that. Now, did my mom and dad do that because they liked me being in the same room with them? No, absolutely not. They did it because they loved me and they wanted me to be comfortable and ultimately, not so I could lay there with my eyes wide open, they wanted me to get some sleep. Listen, when God calms our fears, he does it for a reason. He doesn't do it just so we can be more comfortable. He does it so then we can be commissioned in his work. Listen, fear generally leads us to silence or reclusiveness. In Paul's case, it would have been perfectly reasonable for him to step back at this point and say, oh, thank you, Lord, for calming my fears. Thank you for reminding me that you are with me. I, I think I'm real good here now. I, I got these new people that I've kind of made nice with next to the synagogue, and we're going to have a little church here together. It's going to be great. But instead, he knew God had commissioned him. Listen, speaking the gospel with the blessing of Christ's presence is far better than saying nothing out of fear. He doesn't say, keep on speaking with eloquence to Paul. No, he doesn't say you got to have it all together. He doesn't say you have to have a perfectly put together and polished sermon manuscript. He doesn't say speak to large crowds. He doesn't say to go to the city center and speak either. He just simply says, keep on speaking don't be silent. We have the same promise, though, church, of his presence with us as well. Remember, all of this is wrapped up in his presence. I am with you. Therefore, don't be afraid and be obedient. We get that same promise as the church. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, you know it well. Jesus gives the great commission. 
he concludes his time with the disciples there on that hillside with these words. He says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That same promise that Paul got in a vision, we get daily. As we go as his servants, God promises to be with us. God gives you his presence to then send you with his presence. He may send you to the dinner table with a conversation with a lost family member. It may be a conversation with a coworker on the packaging line next to you. It may be your neighbor who is suffering and just needs a message of hope. But when he send you, sends you, know this, he sends you with his presence. It doesn't hinge on you or your abilities. Christ's presence is what moved Paul forward. And it is what should move all of us forward as well. So notice verse 11, what happens. God speaks to Paul in this fantastic way. And it says there in verse 11, he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. This is awesome, and here's why. Paul's stay in Corinth is the longest stay of any other place in his missionary journey up to this point. You see, Paul was kind of moving around a whole lot. We've seen this, every chapter, every Sermon you hear, he's moving from one place to the next. And the sermon generally begins, hey, Paul's moving from here, and now he's moving to here. And sometimes in the middle of a sermon, we go to like three different places. Why? Because it moved that fast. But here in this one, Paul kind of camps out. It says he stayed there a year and a half. Don't read over that detail. God's word to him gave him the courage to stick with it and stay put in a very uncomfortable circumstance. And he stayed there, in fact, longer than anywhere else. Here's the question for the remainder of the passage. What would happen as a result of his decision to stay? That's the question. In these final 11 verses, we're going to see what happened. We're going to move quickly through it, but I want you to see what God did. Here's what we're going to see. The mission advanced because God was faithful. It advanced because God was faithful. He had given Paul, his presence, and now he's going to prove himself to be faithful to Paul, and the mission is going to move forward. Things, however, don't start out well. Look at verses 12 and 13. It says there, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, in other words, he was in charge. That's all you got to know. The Jews made a united attack against Paul, and they brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Now, if you're Paul, <laughs> you've just heard this great promise from God that he's going to take care of you, he's going to watch over you, he's going to be with you. Go forward and don't be afraid. And then after you're there for a year and a half, this is where it puts you. He's standing on trial once again. I mean, if I'm Paul, I'm looking at God and saying, listen, I know what you said, but didn't I tell you this would happen again? And here he is once again on trial. Let's consider that tension for Paul. We've all been there, right? We've all been there. We've all opened our mouths to be faithful and proclaim the gospel only to be shut down. And the next time that opportunity comes, we say, listen, Lord, I've done it once before, and here's how they treated me. And yet God says, be faithful. And that's what he tells Paul here as well. I want you to see what happened in the rest of this episode. Look at verse 14. It says there, as Paul was about to open his mouth. So Paul was about to defend himself to speak in his own favor. But notice this, God was faithful in protecting his servant. God was faithful to protect his servant. 
Because here's what happens. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Luke tells us, Gallio said to the Jews. So before Paul could defend himself, God supernaturally is certainly working the situation and God defends him instead. And it says, Gallio says this, if it were a matter of, of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with the Jew, you Jews, but if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. Here's what happens. If you read the rest of it, Paul is set free. He is released and another man, another religious man, is beaten in his place. Here's why that's important. God was watching over Paul. God was indeed taking care of him. Just when Paul wanted to defend himself, God dealt with the issue. Brother and sister, God is fighting our battles as well. That doesn't change. It doesn't change from 2,000 years ago. Just when we want to defend ourselves and speak the word in our defense of our character or of the place that we're in, God speaks instead and God moves instead, and that's what we see here. But I want you to consider this promise that God had given back in verse 10 before we look at these last two ways God was faithful. Back in verse 10, we saw where God promised that no one was going to lay a hand on Paul. Did you see that? It says, For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you or hurt you. God was faithful, though. We saw he protected him. God came through on that first account. And that was truly incredible. But what's more incredible is what God says to him at the end of verse 10. He says, because I have many people in this city. Now, no doubt in this vision, God is pointing to the people that had just been saved. But I believe also, and most people who have studied this passage more carefully even than I have, they believe also that God's talking about another people that's ahead of them, looking forward of people in the city that God is then going to save. Listen, God was faithful in building his church all along the way. I want you to see this in verse 18. It says, after staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and the sisters. And he sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. That word, brothers and sisters, that's rich. It's rich. The reason it's rich is because, remember, when Paul arrived in Corinth, there weren't any brothers or sisters. And yet Paul was faithful. Paul persevered. And then God gave him his presence and said, don't be silent, keep on speaking. And then Paul got arrested. And yet God was faithful to protect him. And along the way, these brothers and sisters, God is raising up a church for himself every step of the journey. Paul now had companions in ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, those, those tent makers that were with him, now it says they're going with him. Ain't that sweet? For 18 months they labored and served together, and now they're going with each one another to keep serving the Lord. But finally, it wasn't that he was just faithful in building his church. God was faithful in shaping his servant. He was giving shape to who his servant is. Look at the end of verse 18. There's a very peculiar sentence here that, I'm not going to take too long to explain, but it says he shaved his head at Syncre because of a vow he had taken. Now, praise God, we don't do this anymore, but this was an ancient Jewish practice where when you were worshiping the Lord and you had, in other words, committed your life to the Lord, and we see this happen in the Old Testament oftentimes, but what Paul's saying here is, I'm grateful because you, no doubt, God, have seen me through. 
That's essentially what's happening. He's having a worship service, and he's saying to the Lord, thank you for delivering me. But it's not just worship. In verses 19 through 21, we see that the, he travels to Ephesus, and it says there that the people in Ephesus wanted him to stay. Now understand, when Paul set out on this journey, Ephesus was where he wanted to go all along. And finally, after all of this, he gets there. And not only does he get there, but it says there, we want you to stay with us. That's what they're telling him. We want you to stay. They beg him to stay, but notice how he responds at the end of verse 21. He says, I'll come back to you again if God wills. I'll come back to you again if God wills. That was a statement of Paul's Christian maturity. He had learned even the Apostle Paul was learning something along the way. Wouldn't you agree? He was the one trying to speak in his own defense earlier, and now he's saying, I don't want to get ahead of God. If God wills, I'll come back. Ministry is hard, church. It's tough. When we link arms together to serve the Lord, it's difficult. There are obstacles to overcome. There are attacks by the enemy. There is discouragement. We wonder at times if anyone is hearing the message or even responding to it. We see our difficult cultural circumstance and we wonder why do we keep remaining faithful? What's the point? But Paul was faithful. And this was a pivotal moment in Scripture. Remember in Athens... It says there not many people responded to the gospel. When Paul left Athens, when we left off last week, our estimation was he was not very successful. He had went to this pagan place, these people that were far from God, and it would seem that his mission was not successful. When he came to Corinth, if God wouldn't have changed the narrative, if God wouldn't have continued to push the mission forward, I don't believe you and I would be sitting in this room as children of God today. Here's why. At Corinth, this godless place, they weren't Jewish. They were far from any knowledge of God. They were pagans, just like in Athens. And yet God said, go there. And I want you to stay longer than you've ever stayed before. And I want you to be faithful. And because he was faithful in that place, the whole tide of the third missionary journey begins to change. And the whole story of the church begins to change. And the church marches forward. Here's my encouragement to you. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful no matter the difficulty. Encourage each other. Encourage each other to remain faithful in the fight. Understand that as it becomes difficult for you, it's probably difficult for somebody else too. Encourage that brother or sister who has a lost family member who's been witnessing to them for many, many years and keep telling them, keep Pushing forward. When you see difficulty, encourage one another. And finally, get on board with the exciting things that God is doing among us. Dig your heels in. Henry Blackaby said it this way in experiencing God. He was talking about discerning the will of God. And he said, the way you discern the will of God, at least one way is, you see where God is working and you get involved with it. And so here's what I invite you to do as, as the people of God. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Continue loving the Lord. Continue loving this city. And continue proclaiming a very clear message to a lost and dying world.